This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, October 18th. I'm Rob Bluey. And I'm Virginia Allen. On today's show, Rob interviews Dr. Stephen Scully, chairman of the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity, and Mike Stenhouse, its CEO. They're fighting back against Rhode Island's COVID-19 mandate, and in Scully's case, enduring the consequences of not being allowed to see patients. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a Marine veteran who is helping other injured service members learn to drive again and regain their personal freedom. Before we get to today's show, Rob and I want to tell you about the most reliable source for global economic data, the Heritage Index of Economic Freedom. The Heritage Foundation Index of Economic Freedom ranks nearly every nation in the world according to its level of economic freedom. Whether for personal or professional research, the index is a wealth of information. Learn why it's easier to start a business in Switzerland than it is in France and where America falls on the ranking. Visit heritage.org slash index to explore the 2021 Index of Economic Freedom, which features interactive maps, country rankings, graphs of data, and much, much more. Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. We are joined on the Daily Signal podcast today by two conservative leaders in Rhode Island. Dr. Stephen Scully is chairman of the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity, and Mike Stenhouse serves as its CEO. Welcome to both of you, and thanks for joining the Daily Signal today. Morning. Welcome, and thanks for having us. Dr. Scully, let's begin with you. You are a well-known surgeon in Rhode Island, and you've recently been ordered to cease care by the State Department of Health because you objected to the health care worker vaccine mandate. Can you explain to us what's going on in your situation and, and what you currently face today? Sure. Um, I received a compliance order on Friday, October 1st, to um, prohibit in, in-person care for my patients and the other patients that I would see throughout the state. Um, I've, been pra- I've been practicing here since 1988 and actually have a multitude of contracts which include some of the state facilities as well as my private practice. The state facilities are inclusive of the Department of Corrections, um, special needs facilities, Zamborana Hospital, Eleanor Slater Hospital, the Rhode Island Training School, um, and, and again, I said, and in addition to that, my, my private practice. And this is big news in in your state. The Providence Journal uh, has covered the story extensively. Can you explain how you ended up in this situation and and some of the the principled positions that that you've taken uh, that has led the state to to come after you for this? Sure. The COVID mandate was issued in uh, the middle of August with a charge of mandated vaccinations for healthcare workers by October 1st. Um, I looked into a multitude of things. The most important for me at that point was a medical exemption. I had a, a somewhat complicated issue following a couple episodes of, of uh, Lyme disease, which resulted in me having some Bell's palsy. I had a, a, an ocular injury uh, as a young adult to one of my one of my eyes, which I've had some lens, lens replacements. And you know, Rhode Island is pretty known for. Uh, patients with, with Lyme disease. Uh, I mean, Lyme disease is, is very prevalent in Southern New England. It's prevalent in Connecticut, Long Island, you know, certainly the Rhode Island shore, the Cape and the islands. And, and early on when I had this, a lot was not known about Lyme disease. And it came apparent that the Bell's palsy I had associated was pretty much pathognomonic 
for making a diagnosis. So I have that as, as a young adult. Now, some of the literature also suggests that these vaccinations and this COVID-19 vaccination could predispose patients with a history of Lyme disease and Bell's palsy at an increased risk of developing Bell's palsy. I recovered fine as a young adult, but you know I'm in my 60s now and might not recover so quickly or might not recover at all, and I really don't want any issues with, with my eyes. So we looked at and we listened to the literature about the medical immunization exemptions. And when my primary care looked at it, there's really no place, there's no box to check. You, you either have an exemption because you have a severe allergic reaction or basically you've developed some type of myocardial problem secondary to the vaccination. So from that standpoint, and in conjunction with the fact that I actually recovered from COVID, I got COVID in December of 2020. Um, pretty sick for a few days. You know, all the symptoms, with the exception, I didn't really have a lot of the pulmonary symptoms, but certainly a lot of symptoms. And I did my, my appropriate quarantine and came back to the office. Um, I have been following my antibodies since that time and as recently as last week have quite a high level of COVID-19 spike protein IgG, which is the antibody for the recovery of my process. And it, it's given me a pretty robust naturally acquired immunity. And probably in the literature is suggesting that I might be, I might have five times the antibodies that a, a fully vaccinated person might have. So that in conjunction with the fact that I have a medical reason to look into, also in conjunction with the fact that, you know, throughout this whole process, the whole pandemic, you know, we've been practicing a heightened universal precautions. You know, it was, I guess it's okay for me to have seen a lot of patients who need my emergency services, you know, through the pandemic when quite honestly there, there was no vaccination there was no herd immunity and there really were inadequate medical interventions you know fast forward 19 20 months later we're approaching herd immunity if not already achieved it we have a vaccination um, and i have naturally acquired immunity in addition to with the universal precautions i i think i should be able to continue practicing well, doctor, I'll come back to you because I have some follow-up questions I want to ask you, but I want to bring Mike Stanhouse into this conversation because the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity has recently produced a policy brief uh, titled Natural Immunity Should Be Included as a Vaccine Exemption. So, so Mike, tell us your perspective on this and, and looking at the data and the research, what you found. Sure. And there's a larger issue at play here, if I could first, Rob. And the, the mandates we're seeing in Rhode Island, and don't forget there are multiple mandates. We have a school mask mandate for K through 12 in this state, and we have this healthcare worker vaccine mandate. Um, the science is clear, and we put it forth in our memo with regard to natural immunity and, and vaccine immunization. I call it God-made immunity, which is natural immunity, versus man-made immunity, which is vaccine immunity. And, and in almost every case, something God made is superior to something man made. And, and we have an epidemiologist who's an adjunct scholar to our center. He's a regular guest on my video blog show called In the Dugout with Mike Stenhouse. And for, for months, six months, four to six months, he's been talking about how natural immunity, uh, you know, seems to be uh, equal to, if not superior, uh, to, to vaccine immunity. So we, we put both a policy brief uh, where he cited the studies that show that. And even since we've put that policy brief out, 
the evidence is pouring in. It's now overwhelming that natural immunity, as Doc Scully just just told you, is is more uh, effective, more protective than vaccine immunity. But here's the higher level point, Rob, if I may. In every case, with the school mask mandates and with these vaccine mandates, this government in Rhode Island, the Department of Health officials, Director Nicole Alexander Scott, and then the Governor Daniel McKee, are ignoring the real science. They're basing mask and vaccine mandates on non-scientific data. They don't put forth any data. They don't even claim that there is specific research out there to back up their data. I want, I'd like to talk later about a court case that's going on with the mask mandates that tied in, but the higher level the higher level point here is that the state itself is not following the science, the real science, as they purport they do. Well, let me ask both of you this uh, on that note, and I do want to get to that court case in a moment, but the Rhode Island Department of Health and other elected officials in the state obviously appear to be putting politics ahead of health, uh, is, is, as I'm hearing you describe this situation, as you've gone to them and explained the situation with natural immunity and maybe some of the other reasons that uh, the vaccine mandate shouldn't be you know, imposing these requirements on individuals, what is the response you're hearing from them? Well, I'll, I'll direct that because it's certainly affecting my ability to see, to see patients. And you know, we're in the process of probably rescheduling in, in this quarter 2,100 patients. Um, I mean, I understand the challenges facing public health officials when this pandemic started, and, and nobody's going to minimize the morbidity and, and mortality associated with, with the pandemic. It, you know, it truly changed America, and, and it's, it's sad. But the pandemic is, is certainly winding down, and I want to get back to work. I, my compliance order, I have not even been afforded a, a, a disciplinary hearing at this point. My challenge is, can I get a hearing? And I, I'm assuming that they have no urgency to have this case heard uh, before some type of disciplinary board. The health and safety of my patients has never been, nor will it ever be compromised or jeopardized, um, nor my staff. And you know, with universal precautions and what we've done throughout the pandemic, there is no detriment to me seeing patients. Well, and on that note, it seems that if you're having to cancel so many appointments with patients, they themselves are perhaps in a situation where they're not getting the care that they need. So what has the reaction been from them, doctor? I mean, I think the reaction for me has is, is been extraordinary. I thought when I did this originally, I'd be the lone wolf. And as this goes further and further, you know, I'm not the lone wolf. And, and I understand the charge of, of the health department and public health officials I mean, for pandemics going forward, I think the algorithm is going to have to change. Um, but having said that, if their charge is to protect the public, and I'm no imminent threat to the public at all, but there's a threat to all the patients and, and, and what I do not being seen. I, I trained at a level one trauma center. I trained at Cook County Hospital, and I thank those guys for the training that they gave me. Um, it's probably the first trauma center in the nation, and it gave me the opportunity to take those skills here. I've done a lot of trauma, both in my practice, in my prior practice, and for the state. And I think for me, not being able to continue to do that puts the health and safety um, of the public at greater harm than me not working. Mike, let's bring you back into the conversation here and, and talk about the lawsuit you referenced earlier against the state's 
school masking mandates. I know that parents are concerned about this, having the kids in a setting where all day they are uh, forced to wear a mask. Um, some of maybe the health implications related to that. What is what what does what the debate in Rhode Island look like right now, and where do you see that going in the future? All right, I'll get to that, but I want to go back to the question you asked two questions ago about what's the reaction been when presented with us with the real science. There is no reaction because there has never been a forum for that. When, when we are in our state, we have been totally, our pandemic response has been totally done under executive emergency action, whether it's rules from the Department of Health or executive orders from the executive branch and the governor. No debate. The General Assembly, like cowards, have chosen not to engage. They don't want to get involved. So there has never been a forum where the alternative science can be presented and and the fake science presented by the state can be challenged, except for in this other court case. So in this other court case, parents brought a lawsuit against the state, three different departments of the state, the Department of Education, the Department of Health, and and the executive branch all issued orders or rules to require masks. In no case did they cite the research to back up their mandates. In court, for the very first time, there was a forum where the other side, our side, could be presented. And I can tell you that we are kicking their butts. They, they are panicked. They're trying to stop the epidemiologist expert from testifying. They're trying to stop parents from testifying because they are tearing down the case, the medical premise for these mandates. It's a it's a clear case where the emperor has no clothes at all, and in this open court, which is still ongoing, uh, the the government's case is being systematically torn apart. And when Doc Scully has his hearing, now whether that's in a public forum, we don't know yet. The science will also show that the state has no medical basis for which to make these mandates, or at least to deny his claim of natural immunity. This is why this is so important in our state, because never before in a public forum has the real science been allowed to be presented. Mike, what is motivating these, what appears to be elite bureaucrats uh, in in the state to to impose these restrictions and these mandates on on individuals uh, like like, like Dr. Scully and, and so many of the other parents? Is uh, is it politics? Is it uh, top-down control from Washington, where where obviously President Biden has imposed similar policies, or is there some other motivating factor? Well, we don't know for sure. Of course, they 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 say and they believe they have the science, even though they never cite it. I think it's both of those things: top-down control, it's politics. There's probably some money involved too. Uh, we know we know that the big pharma companies want to push these vaccines and. And whatnot, and we don't know if there are kickbacks or people are bought known. We know we've had this discussion in our state before on mandates for the HPV virus seven or eight years ago, when we we found out that the state was basically getting kickbacks from big big pharma for every vaccine it administered. So we don't exactly know, but the term tyranny has been thrown around an awful lot around here, just just for no reason. They they do whatever they want without any justification. And at least in these hearings now, uh, there's a chance for us to respond. I wish I knew their motivations, Rob, but but they're not they're not good ones. I'll tell you that. 
Well, and, and, and explain to our listeners why the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity has decided to take on this issue so directly. Obviously, having the, the chairman of the organization and, and the CEO speaking out there vocally about what's going on in Rhode Island uh, sends a strong message to the citizens of that state. Well, I'll let Doc respond in, in depth, but I'll say this. In addition to the medical and technical reasons that Doc Scully listed why he uh, didn't comply with the vaccine order, the unjust order, is because we stand for individual liberty and freedom. And we believe that, that so there was a principled reason why Doc uh, took this position as well, because it, it is the mission of our center uh, to preserve and protect individual and constitutional rights. Uh, Doc Scully, your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. I'm sure at this point, appropriately so, there are a lot of healthcare workers in the state of Rhode Island who are practicing and are not vaccinated. I don't know how they're going to monitor that compliance. I don't know what affidavits are going to come forward. The executive order was issued August 15th for compliance October 1st. So in my particular situation, I was able to practice um, with monitoring uh, and COVID testing until October 1st. And then they knew and I made it public that I was not going to get vaccinated for my medical reasons and I wanted a medical exemption. So I am now on a, after October 1st, an imminent threat to the health of the public. But for every one of us who was unvaccinated and tested appropriately between August 15th and October 1st, were we not imminent threats? We were unvaccinated then. And imminent, I think, means like right now. And I am sure there are licensed um, practitioners in the state of Rhode Island facilities. In fact, a lot of the facilities are asking for extensions and exemptions. They're asking for uh, extensions for compliance because there's um, a critical need for some of their, their services. Uh, I think my, my open defiance of this medical tyranny wasn't consistent with the government narrative that exists right here. Um, and they're, they're taking that out of me. And I kinda, we kind of expected it, I kind of knew it. I didn't think it would go this far. I thought I would already been granted a hearing and maybe make some type of exemption based on my medical history. And Dr. Scully, when it comes to you taking this stand publicly, as I mentioned earlier, it's been covered widely by the Providence Journal, and uh, and and I imagine that you know in the medical community, people are paying attention to what you're doing. Where do you ultimately want this to end? Uh, what is the what is the best outcome for you in this situation, and and how can that maybe influence other policies in states beyond Rhode Island? Sure, I think the charge would be to have the Department of Health start to look at the science, look at you know, God-given immunity, look at naturally acquired immunity, look at and and facilitate a discussion for that medical exemption immunization form um, where the the patient can have a personal choice with their physician to determine what's in their best interest. Um, at this point here in Rhode Island, because of this and the way I see it, our freedom of choice, our personal responsibility, and our liberties of kind of vanishing right right before us. So I'd like certainly that to be evaluated. And if you start to acquire and start to look at the science with natural immunity and the COVID survivors, they should be granted freedom from the vaccine mandate. And doctor, one follow-up question to that. You you mentioned the number of cancellations you've, you've had to do um, as a result of, of this order. 
what does it mean for for your livelihood? I mean, are are you able to continue uh, indefinitely, or is th- does there come a point where you have to make some some tough choices about uh, what's going to happen with your with your uh, medical operation? There? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna. I knew this going in, and I mean, I'm not the big boy, but I didn't start doing this, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, I'm in this till the end. I, I want I want to I want to see this through. I couldn't have done this 10 or 15 years ago. My kids were in college, you know, and you have familial obligations. You have your parents to take care of. I'm in a position now where I can withstand it a little bit. And it's really given me a lot of sympathy for maybe the, 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 let's not demeaning the little guy, but you know, the the person who, who has to go to work, who can't say, I'm not going to work for a couple of days because I want to stand in principle and their families are dependent on them. I'm in a position, fortunately, pretty conservative investor, have kind of done okay. I can withstand this for a little bit. And I, I, I think I'm right. And I think, I, I think I've got this. Well, I know that our Daily Signal listeners will appreciate that principal position that you are taking. Mike, I want to go back and give you an opportunity to answer that same question. Where do you ultimately want to see this end up? And what role do you see your organization ultimately playing in not only the education of people in Rhode Island, but maybe having an influence for other state-based policy organizations? Yeah, and we do think that uh, that potential to be uh, something that can be important uh, to other states in the future is there. And here's why. So my advice to anyone listening You know, we've seen all these lawsuits, right, in all these states, and most of them are getting shot down, denied by the courts, because the arguments have been, well, does the government have the authority to impose these kinds of mandates and eliminate choices from people? And do these mandates impose on people's constitutional rights? And the courts are more consistently than not saying, well, you know, during an emergency, during a medical emergency in this pandemic, Yes, we have to give government that leeway. What's different about the court case with the parents, we call it the Parents United lawsuit, going against school mask mandates, and what will be different in Doc Scully's hearing is the argument is not going to be so much on the the power of the government versus the rights of the people. It's going to be attacking the very medical basis that the government is using for these mandates. In the school mask mandate trial, they're arguing there is no emergency among kids, and masks, even if there was, are not the solution. Science says that they are ineffective. So they're attacking the, the medical premise that the government is making, and we're winning the day. I don't know that we'll ultimately win the case, but we are winning the day, and the state's attorneys are panicked because they're used to arguing this on a constitutional basis, which is pretty much a proven failure in this state. So what I would like to see is is what Doc Scully just said, is to see the actual science get debated more and become part of the discussion so, so people and government and elected officials can, can determine whether or not there's a real basis for, for seeking to impose these kinds of heavy-handed mandates on the citizenry. Well, thank you for, for helping to expose what is going on there. I want to give each of you the an opportunity to make the last word here. Um, Mike, uh, Dr. Scully, uh, I think that uh, our listeners really appreciate what goes on in the states, increasingly so as they see what's happening in Washington. So if you want to tell us a little bit more about what the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity does and any of the other things that uh, you might have going on at the organization, I'm sure that they would be grateful to hear about them. Well, I'll give Doc the final word. Um, 
rifreedom.org is our website. We have a petition out there for Doc Scully. It's rifreedom.org slash Doc Scully. And just in a few days, where I think we have about 500 signatures and, and it's getting sent. To, each petition generates an email to state and health officials. So we're really enthused about that. Um, you know, it was Ronald Reagan who conceived the state policy network uh, three, three, four decades ago. Because he said the real, it's great to have groups like Heritage. This is exactly his quote. It's great to have national groups like Heritage Foundation, but we need little mini heritages across every state because there's going to be so many state-based battles I can envision in the future. And Ronald Reagan was so prescient about that and correct. And we are the little mini heritage in Rhode Island. So for everything you guys stand for, you know, we stand for too. We're fighting it at a local level where you guys uh, fight it at a national level. Thank you for doing what you do, and we're just we're just following in the uh, tradition. I'll follow up, um, and thank you as well for what you do, uh, Mike. I hope this I hope this isn't the last word. I hope we continue this debate um, and are able to show the science to a multitude of uh, regulatory agencies. I mean, the healthcare system, as well as what you just talked about a little bit, Mike, the educational system has certainly been challenged even before COVID. Uh, I'm in my fourth decade of work, and now I haven't worked in seven or eight days. So I'm out there a little bit seeing what's going on in America, certainly seeing what's going on uh, in in Rhode Island in my community. Have everybody looked around and see what's going on? It's it's COVID COVID chaos, and it's truly transformed our society. So the final word is, if these mandates are allowed to continue, what kind of mandate is next? And I guess that's why I'm going to stand on principle. Hopefully, I can do this for a long time, and it has an appropriate outcome, you know, for the citizens of of our state and for their health and safety. I think it's a fair question to ask, and I'm glad that you posed it. It's something that we all need to consider. Having just interviewed Victor Davis Hanson, uh, who wrote a book called The Dying Citizen, talking about the importance of citizenship and speaking up, uh, I think that uh, you both are, are a testament to what he's what he's talking about. And I thank you for coming on the show today and describing what's going on in Rhode Island. We'll make sure to include a link to that petition in our show notes. And uh, please keep us posted as, uh, as things develop there. We want to make sure we follow this case. Last thought, because I don't want to steal that term, but that term I used, COVID chaos, was from his article on the Afghanistan of America, which I thought was just profound. Well, thank you for that. Dr. Stephen Scully is chairman of the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity, and Mike Stenhouse serves as its CEO. Thank you both for being with The Daily Signal. Thank you very much. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear lectures from some of the biggest names in American politics? The Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. These events are free and open to the public. To find the latest Heritage Events and to register, visit heritage.org slash events. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show. Virginia, who's up first? In response to my piece, New Group equips parents with seven tools to combat wokeness in K-12 education. Marvin Riddell writes, Homeschool co-ops are wonderful. If enough people took ownership of their children's education and took them out of indoctrination centers, things would certainly change. What better person to raise up, instruct, and share their love with their students other than their parents? 
We saw the handwriting on the wall 25 years ago. We home educated our seven children, and they know the truth about their faith, the environment, academics, morality, and character. And they are doing just fine in life. And in response to Brent Sadler's commentary on its 246th birthday, the Navy continues to innovate, Julie Jankowski of Wisconsin writes, Thank you for the article explaining some of our U.S. Navy's recent accomplishments. It is reassuring to read good news related to our national security amid all the bad news about our open southern border, the ideological wokeness of some military leaders, and the disastrous decisions made regarding the pullout from Afghanistan. I always learn so much from The Daily Signal. Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com. If you're tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger and bigger government, it's time to partner with the most impactful conservative organization in America. We're the Heritage Foundation, and we're committed to solving the issues America faces. Together, we'll fight back against the rising tide of homegrown socialism, and we'll fight for conservative solutions that are making families more free and more prosperous. But we can't do it without you. Please join us at heritage.org. Virginia, you have a good news story to share with us today. Over to you. Thanks so much, Rob. Wounded veterans are gaining back their freedom and independence thanks to the work of the Driver Rehabilitation Center of Excellence. One of the greatest challenges for our wounded veterans can be the loss of mobility that they experience. Marine veteran Josh Himmon was completing his final month of deployment in Afghanistan in 2009 when his vehicle ran over an IED. The blast left him paralyzed from the waist down. Josh ended up at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, where he found himself wondering if he could ever live a normal life again or do something as simple as drive a car. It was there at that hospital that he met occupational therapist and driving rehab specialist Tammy Phipps. Josh learned that there were vehicles for those who are severely handicapped and that he would be able to drive again. But as he told Fox News, the problem was trying to put the whole package together. There's a lot of paperwork and hurdles involved in finding and qualifying for such a unique vehicle and then learning how to use it. In 2013, Josh and his driving rehab specialist, Tammy, began working together and navigating the process of finding the right vehicle, completing all the paperwork, and doing the rehab necessary to give Josh his freedom back. Through the process, Josh realized there was a huge gap in services for veterans and for others with disabilities. So many wanted to learn to drive again and gain access to a vehicle that would allow them to do so, but the process was complex and time-consuming. After the veteran and occupational therapist navigated the process together, they decided to create a model to help other veterans and those with disabilities do the same. In 2016, the pair officially launched the Driver Rehabilitation Center of Excellence based in Northern Virginia. The group walks veterans and anyone with a disability through the entire process of finding the vehicle that meets their specific handicap needs and training them how to use it. 
Josh is now the CEO of the company and helps other injured veterans and those with disabilities get their personal freedom back. The veteran says what he finds so much pride in is helping quadriplegics all over America. You can learn more about the Driver Rehabilitation Center of Excellence by visiting driverrehabilitationcenter.com. That's a great story, Virginia. Thanks to Josh for the work that he's doing and uh, for everyone else who's taking advantage of it. We uh, certainly appreciate you finding it and sharing it with our listeners. Well, we're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows are available at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa Flash Briefing. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.